Hello, Harvest Community Church. How are you guys doing today? Man, it's good to be with you as we continue in the series of the book of Mark, Unstoppable God. Man, do we need reminded of that moment and that truth every day that our God is unstoppable, right? So we can be a people of hope because we know we live in a world that, that's a little bit jacked up, right? And this isn't new because in the early 1900s, the London Times put out a question, and it was an essay that people could respond to. And the question that they wanted you to respond to was this question, what is wrong with the world? Right Now, you can imagine some of the responses that they got, but I actually want to read to you the response that actually won the essay. It was written by a man named G.K. Chesterton, and, and listen to what he wrote. He said this, he said, dear editor, what's wrong with the world? Question mark. I am, period. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. He won. Like, he won. That simple truth won him the essay. But I want you to think about that question. What's wrong with the world? I want you to ask yourself, how would you answer that? How do you think your neighbors would answer that question right now? Right? My guess is, like, they might say, the coronavirus right? They might say the lack of toilet paper. They, they, they might have a variety of different answers. But, but here's the thing. How would you answer it? There's no real debate as to whether there's something wrong with this world. I think we can all agree that this world, there is definitely something wrong. This place is broken, right? And if you doubt that truth, all you have to do is go to your favorite news source. And, you know, go to CNN, go to Fox, you know, go to MSNBC, go to BBC, go wherever you want and start to look at the headlines. And you're going to notice, what, do you, what are you going to see? Right? Well, right now it's consumed with one particular topic. But if you were to look a little further, each day you're going to read there's some kind of sexual perversion, some kind of sexual sin, right? Theft, lies, domestic violence, drug abuse, abortion, corporate greed, violence, gang violence, terrorism, and on and on. There is no shortage of wreckage everywhere we look. We know that this world is broken, and everybody's trying to figure out. Why? And what can we do about it, right? I think we all would agree that this place is broken, but we do not all agree as to what the solution might be, right? And the reason is, is because humans have this remarkable tendency to only focus on like the actual symptoms of the problem, right? Like we blame education, right? We blame environments. Well, they came from a very poor home. But no, they came from a rich home. That's why they shot up a school. We blame all sorts of things. We blame sugar, caffeine, technology, iPhone, this phone. We, we blame gaming systems, right? Like we blame ro the lack of role models. We need more role models. And that might be true, but that's still symptomatic. We blame SpongeBob. We blame Harry Potter. We blame rock and roll. We, we blame all sorts of things, but these are just symptoms. Like we all have a different idea as to what the problem really is, right? But, but here's the thing. We all agree that there is an absolute problem. As, as you look at the world trying to fix this, this big problem of what is wrong, you can see we can't agree on the, the root cause. Just look where the money goes. It goes all sorts of places, not just one particular area. And people wrongly believe that if we somehow fix the brokenness around us, that that'll fix the brokenness in us. And it's just simply not true. We could not be further from the truth. And that's why we need the Word of God. 
The Word of God cuts through this nonsense. It brings truth to a people who desperately need it, right? Like if you remember last week, Pastor Mike, he, he, was, he was working in Mark 7, 1 through 13, and there was this big debate and this big argument between the religious elite and Jesus and his people because they weren't washing their hands. They weren't doing the, the rules and regulations that their elders, their forefathers had set forward. And Jesus said, listen, you've elevated these rules above even the word of God. You are worshiping me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, and in vain do you worship me. You've added so much to the word of God. And so that, that debate, that, that debate and, and controversy, it had ended, but really they didn't answer the question of what, what really is the defilement that we need to care for? What is the solution? So even though that debate ended, the controversy continues. That's where we're going to pick it up today. So if you would, go to Mark chapter 7 and look with me in verses 14 through 23. And I'm going to read that in whole, and then we're just going to work our way through it. So if you would, follow along as I read from the Scriptures. And he, being Jesus, called the people to him again. And he said to them, Hear me. All of you, and understand. Listen, when Jesus says that, he wants you to listen every time he's talking, but when he throws that out, it's like, pay attention. You need to listen. What I'm about to tell you is ultra important. So he's like, listen up. He says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's a happy text, right? Like, like Jesus is saying like the problem is not outside of us. The problem is inside of us. According to Jesus, our hearts, our wicked hearts are the root of the problem within this world, right? Our sinfulness is what defiles us. That's what makes us unfit for the presence of God. Not whether we like wash our hands, this or that, don't touch this or that, don't eat this or that, eat this or that. None of that is ultimately what defiles us. We are defiled, right? The problem is before it ever is external, it's internal, and because we're defiled, we cannot approach God, right? And so this seems so simple and so straightforward. And yet there must be some confusion because the disciples are like, like listen, they're like, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. And he's like, really? And listen, he says, then are you also without understanding? And so he's going to unpack it a little more. And so I guess when I was looking at that, it could be that you just, you don't have any understanding as to whether that's true or not. Most people don't want to believe this truth that's very clear that Jesus is saying. You know, the disciples, they're persistently failing in picking up what Jesus is laying down. And that's going to continue throughout the book of Mark. And you, you might be tempted to think, like, what a bunch of knuckleheads these guys are. Why can't they see that? But can I be honest with you, apart from God and the Holy Spirit, like, apart from the Holy Spirit illuminating the Bible to us, 
we would not see. We would not understand. Right? Like if you see and understand the Bible, it's because God has done a miracle in your heart. He's given you this gift. He's allowed you to understand. He's allowed you to see. But he wants you to pay attention. He wants you to think. And, and we need to humble ourselves before the Word of God. We need to ask him, Lord, help me to understand the plain meaning of the text. Right? Not, not to get lost in the forest of the text, but to see the, the plain tree that's right in front of me. And yes, help me to see all these other things, but help me understand that the plain meaning is what you want. And, and so here's the thing. Thankfully, Jesus is patient. <laughs> He's patient. He's patient with his disciples. He's patient with us. And so look what he says. He, he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to break it down and give you a little bit of an illustration. You ready? So he says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Right? Like, Jesus is using a little bit of potty humor here. Right? You, you picking up what he's laying down? Like, he, like, what he is saying right here, he's like, listen, all the food goes in the mouth, and it all comes out the same place. Right? It doesn't go into the heart. It actually goes into the toilet. It has no opportunity to actually make you defiled. Since when you're chewing on some food, it goes in your mouth, esophagus, stomach, and I'm going to go on and on. And it ends up in the same place. It cannot be the thing that defiles you. That's what he's saying. And this is the first point. And it's so simple. It's so simple, yet we don't want to embrace it. Nothing that comes in from the outside makes us unclean. Nothing. Nothing. Now, you might think, oh, I absolutely believe that. Well, we'll see, because we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But side note, did you also notice that like, Mark gave a little editorial comment in the word there? Right? Like, like he said that Jesus declared all foods clean. Right? That's good news, right? That's like, that's really good news. Jesus who touched the leper, right? Like Jesus who calmed the storm. The same Jesus who cast the legion of demons out of the demoniac. This same Jesus who the woman touched the hem of his garment and her blood ceased. The one he said to the little girl, you're not allowed to be dead. Go ahead and get up. The one who like walked on water, fed thousands with fish and loaves, this same Jesus in great authority just declared all foods to be clean. And the reason that's awesome is not because that means you and I get to eat like scallops that are wrapped in bacon. Although, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Like you should go home tonight and celebrate that. If you got some bacon or scallops, you should eat that. You should give glory to God. But that is not what makes that text so amazing. What makes it so amazing is that Jesus has all authority. This is just like the moment when Jesus declared that like he's the Lord of the Sabbath. What an audacious claim that only God can make. And Jesus is showing that he is God. He is supremely authoritative. Now, I, I want to caution us. Jesus is not disregarding the law of Moses here. Instead, he, he came to fulfill the law. Right? Like he would tell us that in Matthew 5, 17. He would say, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He understands, Jesus understands that like external ceremonial matters cannot be the thing that you know, will cleanse us so that we can come into the presence of a holy God. He understands that we're defiled, and no matter how much kosher food we eat, no matter how many times we wash our hands, we are defiled. 
and it's to the core of who we are. It, it would be like you and I trying to hug the sun, and you'd evaporate. You and I cannot come into the presence of God, and ceremonial matters will not be the thing that make it so that we could. See, the, the thing is, Jesus knows that our problem is way more than skin deep. He understands it's to the heart of who we are. We have sick hearts. Let's look again at the reading. Like It's, it's almost like Jesus gives an MRI of our spiritual condition. And, and it's a bleak reading. I'm going to read it once again. I'm not going to unpack all the different you know, sinfulness that comes from our wicked hearts. But I want you to listen and know that the reason these things come from our hearts is because ultimately we, we love creation more than we love God. We are, we are lovers of self. And you want to see it? Just listen. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Right? From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. No one had to put evil thoughts in your mind. You might be like, well, you don't know my cousin. You're right, I don't. But no one had to do it. Given enough time, you're going to come up with them on your own. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, just, just longing for other people's things, right? Like wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He says all these things... All these evil things, they come from within. And that's what defiles a human. What's clear is that the human heart, the core of who we are, is what makes us impure before a holy God. All human problems are ultimately just symptoms. They really are. I'm not saying our environment doesn't matter. It might help shape and maybe help understand why you have proclivities to particular sins. But if you'd been born in the most amazing home, you would still have a defiled heart unless God interrupted, right? Like our biggest problem is we're separated from God Almighty. And the reason we're separated is because we're defiled. And Jesus is answering why that is. And he's saying it's not because you didn't wash your hands. It's not because you didn't do some man-made rules. It's not because you didn't eat kosher foods. He said you are, you are defiled, you Nothing external. This simple truth is so overlooked. I mean, we don't want to embrace this. We wrongly blame man's wickedness on all sorts of things, like bad examples, right? Like bad company. We blame people and things for our sin-sick hearts. All the while, we're the ones. We're the ones that are born in this particular condition. And I don't want you to make the, the mistake of thinking somehow that this is like some special class of sinner, it's not. When Jesus says this, he's talking about every man, woman, and child. He's not talking like the, the Hitler types. You might look at that and you're like, well, that's not me. That's not me. Like, I mean, I, yeah, okay, so sometimes I don't tell the truth, but I'm not a liar. I just sometimes lie, which is just silliness, right? Like, that is a description of us. He's not just talking about these mega sinners. He's talking about all humanity. He's talking about every man, woman, and child, rich, it doesn't matter whether you're educated or uneducated. He's saying every one of us are born with these hearts. And this is the second fill in the blank. Every person without exception is infected with the deadly disease of sin. What's really wrong with the world, you might ask? Jesus is screaming the answer. Are you listening? It's right in front of us in this text. We are what's wrong with the world. We're broken. We're broken. The self-centeredness of the human heart is what's wrong with the world. 
Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's because of this sin that you and I are unclean. We need God and we can't get to God because we're defiled. And that's bad news. Isaiah 64.6 says this. We have all become like one who is unclean. And, and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Listen, so like even the good things we do apart from faith in Jesus Christ, like those good deeds, Isaiah is saying like it's like a menstrual rag. That's what the text means. So imagine as we're passing the bucket that you drop that in there. It's like, here's my offering, God. He's not impressed. He is not impressed, not unless something major happens in your heart. God sees each and every one of us he sees all our sins, even the ones the world cannot see. He understands that our self-centeredness at times, we love people like in an external way, not because we love them, but because we want to be loved by them. And he says it's, it's defiled, it's rotten, it's wrong. And we need to understand that sin is not primarily something we do. It's something we are. And that explains why we do what we do. Do you think that that's the case for most people when they think of the world. Our hearts are sick. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. He says, who can understand it? I mean, this prophet understands, right? Like when the Bible speaks of the human heart, by the way, it means more than this thing that goes ba-bum, 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 right? Like it means to the core of who we are. It explains who we are before God. It's the centerpiece of who we are. It is the hub that does all the things why we do. It, it, it's where we think. It's where we reason. It's us. And he says that you're defiled. Your heart is defiled. You're deceitful. You're desperately sick. Which is why I think it's funny when people like just do some audacious thing on Facebook and they put someone on blast and you might even like be like, yo, that was, that was just wrong. And they're like, you don't know my heart. You do not know my heart. I was not, I was not being passive aggressive, right? Like, okay, you're right. I don't know your heart. But according to this text, neither do you. But you know who does? God. And you can't hide from him. We're all naked and exposed before him. He sees our sin. And at the core of the horrendous thinking, like you don't know my heart, is the wrong thinking that humans are basically good. And we're not. We're not basically good. And you're like, well, you don't know my kid. Like they're really sweet. Well, they might be, but they're rotten sinners apart from Jesus rescuing. And they're cute little sinners. I have one. I love her, right? But, but you gotta know this is all of us. And we think, the, the, we wrongly think, given enough time, given enough resources, and the proper environment that they'll improve. And that might be true, but they just become more clever devils. Until the, the Lord does a work in the heart, they just become more clever devils. Psalm 51.5, King David could not be more clear. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. He, he does not mean mommy was doing some wrong things when, when she got pregnant, right? Like he's saying, I was born into sin. I was born a sinner. Every man, woman, and child that is born. Listen, we're born in Adam. We must be born again, right? Like, like that's the truth of what the Bible is saying. If that offends you, good. Because you've got to understand the bad news or the good news will never 
be pleasing to you. You'll never run to Christ if you think, well, it doesn't matter. You say I'm a sinner. I don't think I'm a sinner. You might even be here right now today, and you might be thinking, I don't believe that. I don't accept that as truth. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't even think the Bible is true. Well, that might be you. That might be your position, but can I just tell you something? I think this is the one teaching in the Bible that we can absolutely, unequivocally prove. Just, just like unlock your doors and put, you got toilet paper in your yard, right? Like just do that and, and see what happens. You won't do that. Why? Because you don't think man's basically good. Not really, not honestly. You know that we're like killing machines and it's only by God's grace, general grace that he, was, he pulls us back. He keeps us from being actually as wicked as we could be. You probably don't remember the LA riots unless you're older like me, right? Like, but when man thinks that there's no law, man, we, you see how wicked we are. And we saw that on television with the LA riots, but that was just a little drop in the ocean of what man's capable of. No one has to teach a child to rebel. No one has to teach a child to lie. As a matter of fact, we actually have to go really far and really hard at actually teaching them not to lie. Right? I never taught my daughter to lie, but she's lied, and so have I, and so have you. Right? Like, we're liars. Sin naturally flows from their little hearts like sewage flows from drain pipes. Like, get that. And you think, ah, it's not my little Johnny. That's your little Johnny. It's your little Johnny. And you need to know it or you'll never be able to get to the root of the problem. You always think he needs more toys or he needs another timeout. He might need a timeout, but that's not going to fix his heart. And hopefully you see the severity of our situation. Like, we are all unclean in the sight of God. That's why it's so silly to attempt to clean ourselves up with, like, outside-in religion. By the way, when I say religion, what I mean here is devoting yourself to, like, external things in a means to get yourself internally clean so that you can draw near to God and, and get a right standing with God and earn your way into his presence into heaven, right? Like, that's silliness. People love to do this, though, because they can add to it. They can be like, yeah, like, Jesus is awesome, but look at what I've done. Right? Like we love to do that, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Islam, whether it's Hinduism, or even Christianity. We love to do this, and we wrongly think that our obedience to religion is going to somehow clean up our wicked hearts. You know, it's totally possible to trust in Christianity and not actually trust in Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a fact. You can trust in your church attendance, in your Bible reading, in your prayer life, in how much you love, instead of trusting in how much God loves you in Christ. It's possible to do that. We're all trying to clean up ourselves with good deeds, and it will not work. It will not work. I, listen, I'm about to paint a pretty vivid illustration for you, and you're going to be like, okay. Like, now listen, I know this is junior highish, and so you're just going to hang in with me. That will probably explain my IQ. You can pray for my wife and the Indiana campus who gets to deal with me on the regular, right? But like, like spring's coming, right? Everybody excited about that? Woo! Oh, I got some amens finally. Okay. By the way, there's really not been nothing to amen. It's all been bad news, but hang in there. So like here soon, if you have dogs, you're going to do what? You're going to go and clean the yard, I hope, right? Because most people don't do that in the winter. We just let them out. They do their business. So you ever see those little scoopers? 
Well, if you pay like your neighborhood friends, like little young guys or gals, they'll do this on the cheap, right? And so like you might pay one of the boys and he goes out and he does it and, and he's just like picking up dog doo-doo, right? And, and kids can be silly. So like maybe they get this silly idea. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this in like one of those little dishes that you'd put ice cream in. Like he just drops it in there. And then like, he's like, you know what we ought to do? We ought to take some powdered sugar and we should put that baby on there. And so he starts to powder sugar, the dog feces. And then the one's like, you know, I know what we could do. We could actually get some, um, I don't know, let's take some whipped cream. And they put that on there. And they might drizzle some chocolate syrup, some crushed nuts, some pineapple, and a cherry on top. I know this is nasty. I know it's nasty. Hang in there with me. And then homeboy takes a picture. He puts it on Instagram. Everybody's liking this thing. And a couple of neighborhood kids come over. And they're like, man, you guys have an ice cream? And one of them, he's just a trickster. He's like, yeah, we are. Here you go. He's like, oh, man, this is awesome. And so like, as he gets closer, he realizes something ain't right. Y'all got like dead mice in the wall. Like what's going on here? And maybe he takes a spoon and he takes a dip and he's like, the, the texture and things, this, this, this is not right. You're making a face that's cracking me up. And so as they start to get closer, they're going to realize like something is wrong to the core of this ice cream. And God forbid they put it in their mouth and don't know how rotten it is. I know, that's terrible, right? Like, but can I tell you something? That's religion. That's religion. That's trying to clean yourself up to make yourself right with God. We're just a bunch of powder sugar turds thinking that God's somehow going to be excited about that. He ain't going to be excited about that. That feces needs to be transformed into some ice cream, right? Because ain't nobody wants that. I don't care how much religious activity you put on top of it. It's not good, right? Like, that's the silliness of it all. I know it's a disgusting analogy, and I tried to think of a bunch of different ones, and I could not come up with one that would get my point across to make you understand how vile religion is. It's that vile, People love it, though, because we love to brag on it. Religion reeks because what it does is it seeks to clean you up from the outside in, and it will not work. You know what it does, though? It creates an us-and-them world. You know what I mean by that? Like, hey, we may not be perfect, but hey, it, you know, we say to ourselves, but at least I'm not as bad as those people, right? Like, it creates this. We may not be the best parents, but hey, at least, you know, like we spend more time with our kiddos than they do. Right? You ever said that? Right. We may have financial issues, but at least we're not spending all our money on worldly things like they do. Right? Like we may be jacked up, but at least we don't do heroin like they do. And on and on and on. It creates an us and them world. That's what religion does. Religion creates one of two things in your life. It creates pride. When you're knocking it out of the park, you're doing it good. You're on the Bible reading plan. You're doing the praying. You're doing this. You're evangelizing everything and everybody that comes your way. Woo! Jesus is excited with me. You know he is. You know he is. I mean, yes, it's his son, but, and, right? But then, like, you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And when you do, guess what? Immediately, you're just going to be depressed. You're going to despair because I guess this religion thing ain't working for me. And can I tell you something? The next thing you're going to probably do is start working your way back up so that you can get up to the mountain again. Oh, it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting. What Jesus is saying is that we are them. <laughs> we are them. 
We're the ones, right? Like you and I are far worse off than we could ever imagine. The, the, the people in the world cannot be blamed for your problems. It might explain some of it, but our greatest problem is that we're defiled before a holy God. We are the biggest problem, right? And so like external practices of religion, they will never equal inward transformation. They don't have the power. They can't change the heart. So the question remains, what can we do? What can we do? Answer, absolutely nothing. That's pretty bleak. Now, if I said go home, well, then that would really be bleak. But see, our sins cannot be cleaned up. They cannot be covered up by anything that we do or don't do. They must be paid for. They must be paid for. We are in rebellion against the authority of God. Apart from Christ, that's our nature, right? Like we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We are on a collision course with the wrath of God and it will be fully understood in eternity in a real place called hell. And Jesus is saying, and it's not because you didn't wash your hands. And it's not because you didn't eat kosher food. It's because you're defiled. You're a sinner. But Jesus, man, he came as a substitute, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. But you got to understand the bad news or you will never embrace and enjoy and praise the one who has brought good news to us, which is Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Jesus Christ died to, to cover our sins with his perfect blood. Jesus Christ has died to, to give us new hearts, hearts that long to love him and obey him. But if you don't understand the bad news, you'll never be impressed with the gospel. Because you ain't that bad. I mean, what did Jesus save you from? A headache, a bad day, maybe a, maybe a relationship strain. If Jesus didn't save you from the wrath of God, who cares? It's not that exciting, right? And I think that's the mistake we can make. But can I tell you something? Jesus came primarily to bring sinners into the presence of God. That's why he came. He knows our greatest need is God. And he knows that we can't do it. It'd be like taking your legs off and your arms off and saying, now swim to the moon. You couldn't do it any more than you can make yourself clean. And our sins need paid for. And Jesus came to pay for them. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 with me. It says, for, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin." who knew no sin. Why? Why would he do that? So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, this is such a beautiful text. I pray that you'll get it to the core of who you are. I want you to imagine with me right now, somewhere in the universe, there's this huge vat and it's just been filled with all the vile ugliness of all the sins that have ever been committed, that ever will be committed. And it's filled to the brim and it is vile. It is dark. It is deep. And it is, it is so nasty. Now imagine in that moment when Jesus is hanging upon the cross that this thing, it spills over and it dumps out all on him. All the vileness is emptied on him. Like it's nasty, it's toxic, it's filled with disease, it's filled with pain and suffering and it never stops being poured out. And Jesus on the cross becomes the greatest object of God's wrath in that moment. That's what happened on the cross. And it's not because he sinned. It's because we've sinned and we continue to sin. And the only thing that's going that's to cover our defilement is the blood of Christ. That's why he came. On the cross, 
the cherished son of God, was treated like a criminal. And he was crushed so that you and I, who are criminals before God, could be forgiven and cherished. That's amazing news. Like, I know you got hard things happening in your life, but no matter how difficult they might be, this news doesn't change. And I need you to hear me. Like the gospel is not a story of Almighty God coming down halfway, putting a ladder partially down, and screaming, hey, clean yourself up! Get it together, bro! Come on, you can do this! Meet me halfway! that's That's not good news. We have no ability to do that. He's not saying, try harder, do better. He's saying, I have done it. I have lived the life that you could never live. I have died the death that you deserve to die. And from the cross, he triumphantly and victoriously yells, it's finished. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Because if you do, oh man, you should be having a great day. You should just be having a great day day. Tim Keller, he famously said this. Listen, I love this. He says, and man, I hope you get this. He says, you are more sinful than you have ever thought you were. And you are more loved than you could have ever dreamed you could be. That's the beauty of the gospel. The love of God is on full display on the cross. And the gospel should create in us a worshipful thankfulness Like, praise God, right? Like, not praise, I've done these good things. But my concern, my concern is that you've just grown, you've grown, you've grown dull with the good news of Jesus. It doesn't amaze you anymore. I I mean, I've had that happen to me. And I've asked the Lord, like, wow me once again with the good news of Jesus Christ. And you, you've wrongly thought that you're like, you're kind of all right. But yeah, you know, Jesus had to do a little bit to save me but then you think you have to get the rest of the way on your own. But here's the good news. There's nothing bigger or better than Jesus Christ died for sinners. You don't move on from that. You just move deeper into it. It's the greatest news ever. In Christ, there is nothing that you or I could ever do to make God love you more. In Christ, there's nothing that you or I could ever do to make him love you less. He loves you, and he doesn't love you because you're lovable. He died to make you lovable. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel, the same good news that saves us is the same good news that sustains us and it is what will get us to the end when we will see our creator face to face. He does it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us new hearts and he gives us a new mission to live for. Prior to this, we only lived for ourselves. But I want you to know, this was even spoken of in the Old Covenant. It was spoken of in the Old Testament. Look at me, uh, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. And I I want you to notice the I wills in this text, right? He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
Man, it's salvation at the cross. The blood of Christ covers all our unrighteousness and our defiled hearts are removed and we're given new hearts, ones that love God, ones that seek to obey Him out of joy, not so that we can get love, but because we've got love. Right? Do you realize that's the difference? We don't obey so that Christ will love us. We obey because He does love us and He's now given us the ability to obey Him. Right? This is not the improvement the improvement of a defiled heart is the transformation. It's a creation of a brand new one. A brand new one. This is what happens at the moment we've, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are born again and you have a new spirit within you. Your heart's ripped out. You're given a new one. This is why the gospel creates people with clean hearts and dirty hands. I'll explain. Whereas religion creates people with clean hands and dirty hearts. See, Jesus came to seek and to save sinners, and he now sends us into this defiled world, and it's grimy. It is, and if you think, I don't think so, then you don't get out much, right? Like, but he sent us into this world to live and to love just like he did for us, and, and, and here's the thing. He got his hands dirty, Right, so much so that people would accuse him of being a glutton, of being a drunkard. Right, like He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and everybody's thinking, this guy, he is defiled. His hands, they're nasty. And they were, but his heart was as clean as day because he's perfect. And this is how we need to be. God help us to do that. Jesus was caring for sin-sick sinners, and we need to do the same thing. He calls us to do the same thing. Unfortunately, all too often, what happens is people try to remove themselves, remove themselves from the world. Right? They seek to avoid sinners and, and, and hang out in some strange Christian bubble, like this little subculture that we create. This is such a misunderstanding of the gospel. Like, this is not a time to run and to hide if you're in Christ. It's a time to rise up and to trust that Jesus Christ will be with us wherever we go, that he is for us and that he will help us so we don't need to flee. Church, we ought not be a fearful people. And when we are, we need to cast our fear upon him, the God who loves us, who will help us, and, and trust that he's with us, right? Like, we wrongly think that if we just stay clear of sinners that we'll be clean and clear ourselves. And this type of thinking is laughable. It's laughable. Like use wisdom, absolutely. Use wisdom when engaging in the world. But like, however, the, way, the best way to stay clear of sin is not by staying away from sinners. It's by sticking close to Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He stuck close to his father. He had the power of the spirit. He was a spirit-filled man. So no matter where he went, he was influencing people. They weren't influencing him. And I understand, we're not Jesus. I get it. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And you need to remember that sin is not like out there. Like it's like the coronavirus. If we get close to sinners, we're going to catch it. It's not like that. It's, it's in here, right? Sin is not primarily something we need to be sheltered from. It's something we need to be delivered from. And Jesus does that. Just think of the Duggards, right? I'm not going to go into their pain too much, but they had that mentality. They thought that the evil, all the evil of the world, it's out there. And they didn't realize it was in the hearts and under their roof. It wasn't out there. It was in them. They needed to be delivered. You know, you and I can make the mistake of fearing the defiled world out there and not actually understanding the defiledness in our own hearts. And I'm talking even Christians. 
I understand that we're forgiven, but we can make the mistake of thinking we're some special class now. Like, remember, the gospel is not simply about you and I getting our sins forgiven and then hanging out like in some strange bubble where like, like our children, you know, like we never let them go outside. They can only watch Veggie Tales 24-7, right? Like we're going to give them organic food. We're going to do some deep dive Bible study with only super spiritual people, right? Because like we want to make sure that we understand what to do, even though we might not do it. And we're all just going to hang out, wait around until Jesus returns on his white horse to save us from the really bad people out there. If that's your life, repent. Ask God to forgive you. You put faith in your system, not in the God who said, go. 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 Preach good news to people who need to hear it. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, there's nothing wrong with setting limits and boundaries for your children. You should. We did. We homeschooled Sarah for, for a season. We sent her to a Christian school. But I didn't think by doing that it was somehow going to create in her a clean heart. You think all the kids who go to a Christian school are saved? <laughs> That's funny. It really is. I send her there because I want her to have an understanding of the worldview that I want her to understand. And I want to set as much wood around that heart and pray that the Lord would set it on fire. I get it but it's to send her out eventually as she's trained up. And by the way, doing that boundary thing and setting up a system where nobody can get hurt really isn't even Christian anyway. I know unsaved people who do even more than that. It doesn't make them saved. It's just wisdom. But if you're not careful, you'll make the mistake of thinking sin and rebellion is a problem outside of us and not one that's inside. You'll think that your, your kids are basically good and really they just need a little bit more powdered sugar on them right? or maybe less sugar and then they won't be so sinful. You know, I think it's hilarious when, when kids are fighting and like little Johnny bites Susie's face off and everybody's like, whoa, why did that happen? Right, like why did, well, he didn't get a nap and like when I gave him chicken nuggets, I didn't give him the dinosaur ones like he wanted and he had some red dye number 40. That would explain why he bit little Susie's face. No, he's a sinner, that's why he bit Susie's face, right? And we can see it with children, but we think they just need a little morality, a little powdered sugar, and it'll all be well. Can I tell you something? They need the transforming grace of the gospel. They need Jesus to rescue them. They need the grace of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? So do your neighbors, they need to hear good news. This is not time to retreat. It's not. Oh, man, the Lord has set a table for us right now with everything that's gone on in the world. It's time to engage people with the good news of Jesus Christ. God has placed them in our lives, and we need to be a people of uttermost hope. We need to go with, to them, right? Like, if they're sick, go to them. Yeah, use some, some wisdom there, but like, Everybody's freaking out in case you haven't noticed. And I think this is awesome. Thank you, Lord. Not that like that's awesome, but the fact that we have an opportunity to bring a hopeful message into a people where everybody's afraid. And I want to tell them like you should, I got like really bad news for you. You think that that's bad news? Oh boy, do I have bad news for you. You're under the wrath of God. That's way worse than the coronavirus. But boy, do I got good news for you. There, there is a cure for this one. 
And the cure is that Jesus Christ died to take the wrath of God in your place and to give you his righteousness so that you can have the delight and love of God upon you forever so that no matter what happens in this life, you all will be well with your soul. You'll live with him forever. See, the gospel, if it's understood properly, will not drive us into our homes. It will drive us into the world with transformed hearts, to love what God loves, to hate what he hates, in order that we can, we can build bridges into the lives of people, that we can bring hope. Why? Because we're seeking to see them have their relationship with God fixed. And the only way to do that is the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, because this is what the world needs. They need to be right with God, and right now they're not. If they're not in Christ, they're in Adam. And if, in their, if they're in Adam and they die in that condition, they will spend eternity in a real place called hell. And you have the gospel. And we need to be unashamed. We need to be compassionate. But we need to be courageous to go to them and to tell them this good news. Will you do that? Will you walk with God? Will you love one another? Will you seek the lost? Will you trust that Jesus is mighty to save? Because if you will, I want you to go. I want you to proclaim. I want you to share this good news and trust that Jesus will save them. Will you do that? I pray you will. I pray you will. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.